So in, the, in Scripture, you have both warnings and assurances. And uh, if you assume, as we do here, that the Bible does not contradict itself, you have to arrive at a theology that makes sense of both the warnings and those assurances. And so today, uh, and Josiah just read this, this is one of the most somber warnings in uh, almost the entire New Testament. And so today we're going to kind of try to unpack that. But I don't want us to just simply unpack it without also looking at some assurances. Because again, we have to figure out a way for all this to fit together and all of this uh, to work, right? So, um, so let's start with a verse. Uh, this is 1 John 5. This is an assurance. So a few moments ago, Sarah stood up. She wrote, read to you from Romans 8. She was reading some assurances, right? And, uh, and so here's an assurance that's meant to bring security to the life of a believer. It's 1 John 5, 11 through 13. It says this, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So basically, he says, look, this is a black and white issue. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are people that have the Son, and there are people that don't. The people that have the Son have eternal life, and the people that don't have the Son don't have eternal life. And then in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Uh, so, he, so this is so important because he doesn't just want us to, he doesn't say, I, I, I say this so that you can wonder whether you have eternal life. He says, no, you can know in the moment, in the present, that you have eternal life. You don't have to hope you have it. You don't have to worry over whether you have it. This promise is meant to bring assurance and security. We can know based on our posture toward Jesus. If we believe in Jesus, we can know. So that's assurance, that's security, right? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. These are verses that Craig read through a couple of months back. And again, this is another assurance, the powerful assurance. Look at what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed um, you know in the in the last time so these verses say that our salvation is protected by God in heaven and that it's imperishable, that it's unfading, that it's unspoiled, and that in the presence of faith, God guards our salvation. So again, we can know we have eternal life because God is guarding and keeping our salvation in heaven uh, through faith and as we believe. So listen, I want to be clear. I believe in assurance. I believe in security. 
And I believe we have to take this warning in Hebrews 6 very, very seriously. So let's dive into it. So first of all, when we think about this passage, it's super important to understand the context for this warning. Uh, And we see the context in verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. He's urging them and us to keep growing in our faith. He's urging them and us to uh, go deeper in our faith as opposed to retreating back into the shallows or toward a superficial faith. He's saying, look, it's super important that you grow because this can go bad. This can go sour if you're not growing. Listen, friends, Christians rarely stand still in their faith. They're either moving forward and progressing or they're shrinking back. We rarely stand still. And so he's urging growth because of how tragic it can be when we don't. So here's what he says, and this is so shocking. He says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away. Now let's stop here first. So um, I think it's clear to all of us that the author is working overtime to make sure we all know that these people are really followers of Jesus. He uses all kinds of different phrases to to let us know. Uh, I mean, he, he makes it almost impossible to deny that these people aren't true believers, right? I mean, they've received the Holy Spirit. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They've read the goodness of the Word of God. I mean, it goes, they've known the power of God. I mean, it just goes on and on. It, it's very, very very clear that we're meant to see that these are believers. And then he says, if they fall away, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now, um, couple of things we're going to talk about what this what what it means to fall away it's so important that we get clear about what that is but I want you to notice that in this phrase he does not say that it's impossible Uh, it says it doesn't say they cannot be forgiven it doesn't say they cannot uh, still be saved He's not saying that. He says it's impossible to bring them to repentance. In other words, he's not making a judgment about God. He's making a judgment about human beings. He's saying if someone 
has been a follower of Jesus and they fall away from Jesus, it will be very hard. It might be impossible to change their mind again as it relates to Jesus. In fact, the word repentance literally means to change your mind. And it can mean different things in different contexts. So, in some contexts, we're told to change our mind about our sin. In some other contexts, we're told to change our minds about Jesus. So repentance is literally a change of mind. And so what he's saying is if somebody's following Jesus and they unfollow Jesus, it will be very, very difficult to get them to change their mind about that. But this is not the same thing as saying that someone can lose their salvation. It's not the same thing. He's not talking about their salvation. He's talking about their mindset toward Christianity and following Jesus. And what he's saying um, is this. He just says, look, uh, people, it's possible for someone to fall away from Jesus through not sin, but unbelief. In other words, it's possible to believe and then unbelieve, and this is why he's pushing growth so much, right? He's saying, look, you have to keep progressing. You have to keep moving forward in your faith because our beliefs change all the time. You know, when I first graduated from seminary, um, I believed things a lot just because that's the way I was taught by my professors. But now that I've progressed through 30 years of ministry, you know, I don't have the same beliefs that I did when I first graduated from seminary. We change our beliefs. Our beliefs are always evolving and changing, right? And so this is why over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews, he says things like this. Don't neglect your salvation. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Bet the farm on Jesus. Never give up on Jesus. Go all the way with Jesus is because he knows that belief can change and so we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every single day because if we're not moving forward we're probably shrinking back and then um, so what does it mean to fall away well, so first of all, the writer here is not saying, let me tell you some things he's not saying. He's not saying that those who fall back into sinful habits after they are saved forfeit their ability to change their mind or repent. All believers sin. Even believers that are moving forward, even believers that are mature, all believers sin and all believers can, no matter how mature you are, can fall into old sinful habits or patterns. This is not about sin. There is no sin too great for the cross of Christ. Uh, and, and furthermore, when we look at the Old Testament, right, we see, I mean, we see these, these, some of these folks in the Old Testament. For example, David commits adultery, right? And then he commits murder. But somehow he's still called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he repented, because he changed his mind. He remained open to God. And you see this in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, we said this last week, right, document themselves as doubters and deniers, and yet, uh, they, you know, still 
repented and were forgiven. So what what they're saying here is that um, falling away from Jesus is not about sin. It's about faith. It's about belief. In other words, is it possible for someone to believe in Jesus in one season of their life and cease to believe or to change their mind about Jesus in a later season? Is it possible for someone to change their mind about Jesus? And the author of Hebrews seems to believe that the answer to that question is yes. Absolutely, it's possible for someone to change their mind about Jesus. That's why we have to keep growing. We have to keep moving toward Him. And then he uses an example that's so helpful about farming. Look at what he says. Well, first of all, he says, because to their loss, in other words, if somebody does fall away from Jesus, he says, they are uh, crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So essentially, he's just saying this, look, when someone unfollows Jesus, like they are, uh, they're siding with the people that crucified Jesus. They're, They're putting him to shame, and this is about witness, In other words, the witness, the public shame that it brings to Jesus that somebody would begin to follow him and then unfollow. Uh, So you're you're actually beginning to hurt other people. And and, and we're going to see this in the the farming analogy. Here's Here's the analogy he uses. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, in the end, it will be uh, burned. So uh, I want you to think about this. This is so helpful. So here's what he's saying. Look, all land benefits from the grace of God. God brings rain all over the earth. But the land that is tended to and cultivated will produce a crop. If Land is neglected or untended. All that will grow up on that land is thorn and thistles, even with the rain. Now, if you go back to the crop where it's tended and cultivated, in other words, farming requires weeding and fertilizing and, you know, tending and all that. And so here's the point that he's making. Look, you and I have a salvation. We have souls that need to be tended and cultivated daily. Every one of us. And if we fail to cultivate or tend to our salvation, or if we, if we fail, if we neglect so great a salvation, right, all that's going to grow up in our hearts, minds, and lives is thorns and thistles. We have to cultivate. We have to tend. We have to work out our salvation. It requires effort on our part. I didn't say work for your salvation, right? I said work work it out, work it, see it through, live it out. That's what I'm saying. 
So he's, he uses these two plots of land to, uh, as examples of our souls, our salvations. In the same way that you have to tend to a plot of land to produce a crop that feeds people and is useful and beneficial to others, um, you have to tend your soul. You have to cultivate it. This is why we talk about things like being faithful to worship and being in a small group and being in God's Word every day and serving. and I mean, just all these habits and disciplines are so important because if you're not progressing, you're probably shrinking back. And he's saying, look, don't neglect it. You've got to tend to it. And... Um, yeah, so super important there. And then in verse 9, oh, and by the way, it's interesting, the, the, the plot of land that's tended and cultivated, it produces a crop that benefits people. But thorns and thistles, they only hurt people. They don't benefit anybody. Thorns and thistles impede progress, right? And he says, in fact, land like that is so worthless, the only way to clear it is you just have to razz it. You just have to burn it and start all over again. Because if something's left untended for that long, the kind of stuff that grows up there starts to hurt people. It's not helping them anymore. Uh, So that's really important. And then verse 9, look what he goes on to say. He says, uh, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things, in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He won't forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue uh, to help them. So right there we see why he could say he was confident of better things. He said, look, I see the love that you have for one another. I see the love you continue to have for one another. So he's looking at their plot of land and he's saying look I can see from the fruit growing here because you're loving one another well and you're continuing to love one another you're presently loving one another I am confident of better things in your case because I seek a crop growing and the fruit of that crop is love in other words you're benefiting in the same way that crops feed people and benefit people your love for one another is feeding one another and benefiting one another and then he goes on to say this um, we want to show each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so he's just saying the same thing he said all along in the entire book of hebrews don't give up on jesus go all the way with jesus Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy. What does that mean? In other words, we don't want you to be somebody that isn't tending or cultivating every single day their salvation or their soul. We want you to continue to tend that and cultivate it. You have to because if you're not moving forward, You're shrinking back. He says, so we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and and patience inherit what was promised. So uh, he's saying, um, yeah, I want you to be as sure at the end as you were at the beginning. And the only way to be sure is to follow Jesus all the way through. 
Now, it's interesting to me because the author of Hebrews here uses some similar language that uh, he speaks in the way that Jesus talks, and then we're going to start to put all this together. So uh, Jesus is referencing um, who's going to be saved. This is Matthew 10, 22. Here's what he says. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow, that's cheery. Merry Christmas, right? But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, he doesn't say here, he who believes for a while will be saved. He says, no, faith that saves is a faith that endures to the end. Let me say that again. Faith that saves is a faith that endures to the end. That's what Jesus said. And uh, there's a well-known parable that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the soils. And in that parable, Jesus is talking about how different people will respond to the good news of Jesus, to his death, burial, and resurrection on their behalf. And he identifies four groups of people. And one of those groups of people, here's what he says about them. They, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, it's interesting, you probably noticed this. You see the same phrase, fall away. You see Jesus using that same phrase that the author of Hebrews used, even though those are not the same Greek words. They're translated very similarly, but they're not the exact same word. But here's what I need for you to see. I need for you to see that Jesus believed it was possible for someone to believe in him for a while and then fall away. In other words, unbelieve. Change your mind about him. And so he's warning, the author of Hebrews is carrying this out, and he's warning us not to have hearts and minds or souls that are cluttered by things like rocks or weeds, or the, the, uh, to be so concerned about the worries of this world that we neglect our salvation. Because again, if you're not moving forward, you know, you're moving backwards. So I want you to see the similarity in language between Jesus and the author of the book of Hebrews. Now, here's how I think we can shake this out in a way that none of you have to leave here rocked today or shaken or insecure. So like, because a lot of times when you read a, a warning like this about falling away from Jesus, people think, well, hey, I've been in this long pattern of sin. Have I fallen away from Jesus? No. Or listen, if you're here this morning and you're worried about whether you've fallen away from Jesus, I guarantee you, you haven't. You know why? Because if you weren't, if you had fallen away from Jesus, you wouldn't be worried about it. That's what the author here is saying. He's saying, look, once somebody changes their mind about Jesus, it's almost impossible to get them to change their mind back. Now, Remember, he's talking about the human side of the equation, not the God side of the equation. Repentance and faith, that's our job, right? But uh, the salvation and the forgiveness, that's God's job. So he's not making a comment about God here whatsoever. He's making a comment about human beings and human nature. That's who's uh, being uh, discussed and talked about here. 
So here's the point that Jesus is making. You know, he talked about, he said, in the time of testing, they fall away. Or the earlier phrase Jesus used was, hey, you know, um, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures, endures what? Endures the hardship, endures the persecution. In other words, you have to allow the hard things that come into your life to grow your faith, to build your faith, not cause you to, you know, shrink back. And so he's urging them, you know, keep growing on to maturity because you're never static in your faith. You're never just um, there. And then he says this, he's just saying the same thing, endure with me to the end. Allow difficulty and hardship to cause you to press into me, not cause you to fall away from me through unbelief. So listen, I'm not going to answer this question for you, but here's what I am going to say. That we have to, we have, to have a theology that makes sense of both the assurances and the warnings. And any system of theology that would render the warnings as hypothetical or like, well, it's a warning, but it can't really happen, that, that theology needs to be rejected. I mean, in other words, the author of Hebrews, to say that he's making a warning that could never happen to someone is no warning at all. I mean, you're really discounting the entire book of Hebrews if you say, well, that's impossible, that can't happen because of the perseverance of the saints. So the, the warning is hypothetical. No, he wouldn't have given the warning if it was only hypothetical. He believed people could fall away from Jesus. And Jesus said people would fall away from Jesus. So here's where security comes in. Look, so if you're worried about whether you've fallen away, I guarantee you, you haven't. If you are placing your faith and trust in Jesus today, you can know that you are saved. You can know it. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry, you don't have to hope. If you are placing your faith and trust in Jesus today, you can know that because of your faith, through faith, God is guarding your salvation in heaven. There is security, there is assurance. But what about when you don't have faith anymore? What if you change your mind? What if you move from believing to unbelieving as it relates to Jesus? And that is the scenario the author of Hebrews is trying so desperately to avoid. Because he's saying, look, the faith that saves is a faith that endures to the very end. So tend to and cultivate your faith every day. Otherwise... Thorns and thistles is all that will grow out of that. And thorns and thistles aren't good for anybody. They don't benefit anybody. They only hurt people and impede forward progress. And you don't want to be like that. So here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to call up our worship team. And while they're coming up, I want to pray for you. 
I want to pray for you, each of us, things that accompany salvation. And I want to pray um, just that God would sort all this out and that those of us who needed to be challenged with that warning will be challenged and that those of us who maybe might get shaken by it unnecessarily, that God would just give you confidence. But again, we, we have to make sense of both the assurances and the warning of Scripture, right? So let me pray for you and for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want every single one of us to approach you from a position of security, from a position of knowing. And so God, we, I just thank you for the faith of every man and woman in this room and I pray that you would continue to grow their faith and I pray that they would take the responsibility for continuing to grow in their faith as well. And so, God, we just give you thanks and praise for what you've done for us. God, in just a moment, we're going to remember that together. And so we just, we're just reminded, God, that, Lord Jesus, that you're, you, you rose from the dead and you live, and that means you're here now with us and that your presence, your hand guards us. And so we give you thanks and praise for that, and we do that in, the mighty, in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, so as I mentioned, um, what do you do with such a great salvation? You allow that salvation to help you to look and, and act more like Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. He said, even the Son of Man, even I, didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so uh, today we're going to take communion as a way of remembering that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And so as we drink from the cup, we're going to remember together that uh, Jesus' blood was shed for me. And as we eat from the bread, we're going to remember that Jesus' body was crucified for me. And listen, that should never get old. That should never get kind of, you know, that should always blow our minds. It should, it should always infuse us with joy and wonder and awe. So I just want to ask you as you do this today, remember the links that Jesus went to for you. And how are you doing? How are you doing as it comes to cultivating and tending to your salvation? Are you neglecting it? Or are you cultivating it? Because good things come when people cultivate. But when they neglect, it's just thorns. It's just thistles. So Heavenly Father, as we come remembering your broken body, we come uh, as we uh, drink from the cup, we remember that your blood was shed. As we eat the bread, we remember together that you offered up that body on a cross. And we're grateful. So we thank you for the security that that brings. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the love that motivated all of that. And so as we come and take communion together, we remember that you are here with us. And we're grateful. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.